0: Nehemiah chapter 9, on the twenty-fourth day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth, and having dust on their heads. Those of the Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. They stood in their places and confessed their sins and the wickedness of their fathers. They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter of the day in confession and in worshipping the Lord of their God standing on the stairs were the Levites Jeshua, Bani, um, Kadmiel Shebaniah, Bunai Sherebiah, Bani, Kenaniah, who who were called with loud voices to the Lord their God and the Levites Jeshua, Kadmiel Bani, Hashabaniah Sherebiah stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessings and praise. You alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and all their starry host. The earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, you give life to everything, and the multitudes of heaven worship you. You are the Lord God who chose Abraham and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and named him Abraham. You found his heart faithful to you and you made a covenant with him to give his descendants the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Jebusites and Girgashites. You have kept your promise because you are righteous. You saw the suffering of our forefathers in Egypt. You heard their cry at the Red Sea. You sent miraculous signs and wonders against the people and and Pharaoh, for you knew how arrogantly the Egyptians treated them. You made a name for yourself, which remains to this day. You divided the sea before them, so that they passed through it on dry ground. But you hurled their pursuers into the depths, like a stone into the mighty waters. By day you led them with a pillar of cloud, and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the way they were to take. You came down on Mount Sinai, you spoke to them from heaven. You gave them regulations and laws that are just and right, decrees and commands that are good. You made known to them your holy Sabbath and gave them commands, decrees and laws through your servant Moses. In their hunger you gave them bread from heaven. And in their thirst, you brought them water from the rock. You told them to go in and take possession of the land you had sworn and with uplifted hands give them. But they, our forefathers, became arrogant and stiff-necked and did not obey your commands. They refused to listen and failed to remember the miracles you performed among them. They became stiff-necked and in their rebellion appointed a leader in order to return to the slavery. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in love. Therefore, you did not desert them. Even when they cast for themselves an image of a calf, you said, "This," and said, This is your God, who brought you up out of Egypt. Or when they com- committed awful blasphemies. Because of all your great compassion, you did not abandon them in the desert. By day, the pillar of cloud did not cease to guide them on their path, nor the pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. You gave your good spirit to instruct them. You did not withhold your manner from their mouths, and you gave them water for their thirst. For forty years, you sustained them in the desert. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet become swollen. You gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. They took over the country of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the country of Og, king of Bashan. You made their sons as numerous as the stars in the sky. You brought them into the land that you told their fathers to enter and possess. Their sons went in and took possession of the land. You subdued before them the Canaanites who lived in the land. You handled the Canaanites over to them, along with their kings and the peoples of the land, to deal with them as they pleased. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of houses filled with all kinds of good things wells already dug, vineyards, olive groves, and fruit trees in abundance. They ate to the full and were well nourished. They reveled in your great goodness but they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They put your law behind their backs. They killed your prophets who had admonished them in order to turn them back to you. They committed awful blasphemies, so you handed them over to their enemies who opposed them. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you from heaven. You heard them, and in your great compassion you gave them deliverers and rescued them from the hand of their enemies. But as soon as they were at rest, they again did what was was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies, so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from from heaven, and in your compassion you delivered them time after time. You warned them to return to to your law, but they became arrogant and disobeyed your commands. They sinned against your ordinances, by which a man will live if he obeys them. Stubbornly, they turned their backs on you, became stiff-necked, and refused to listen. For many years, you were patient with them. By your spirit, you admonished them. Through your prophets, yet they paid no attention. So you handed them over to the neighboring peoples. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them, or abandon them. For you are a gracious and merciful God. Now therefore, O our God, O great and mighty, awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. The hardship that has come upon us, upon our kings and leaders, upon our priests and prophets, upon our fathers and your people. From the days of the kings of Assyria until today, In all that has happened to us, you have been just. You have acted faithfully. While we did wrong, our kings, our leaders, our priests, our our prophets, our fathers did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the warnings you gave them. Even while they were in, in in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness, to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them, they did not serve you. Or turn from their evil ways. But see, we are slaves today, slaves in the land you gave our our forefathers, so that they could eat its fruit, and the other thing, good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings you have placed over us. They rule over our bodies, and our cattle, as they please. We are in great distress.
1: He's taking my notes, that's good, that's great, thank you so much, thanks for that reading. You notice verse 3 said there stood for a quarter of a day reading, I bet it felt like that a bit, but I love Old Testament narrative, it's brilliant isn't it? I just want to say on behalf of Leslie and myself, thank you so much for praying for this week, it was Leslie's mum's funeral, it went as well as it could have gone and sensitively the gospel went out. And just pray for the seed of that amongst family that largely don't know Jesus. And uh, so we really appreciate that. I also want to acknowledge the fact, thank you so much uh, for acknowledging the Father's Day and that for some it is a very painful day. And so it's important, isn't it, to point to one who knows and loves truly and understands. And so I'm going to pray and it'd be good to do that because unless the Holy Spirit anoints what is said today, then uh, We're wasting our time. And so let's just pray and ask the Spirit of God to come and show us what he would have us take away from this time. Lord, we thank you that you come and you call us to gather, just as here in Nehemiah where your good spirit is given to us. And we pray, Lord God, that indeed, Holy Spirit, you'd come and you'd search the darkest recesses of our soul. You'd come and you would cause us to desire to want to be the people you've called us to be, to want to, want to at least. We do thank you for this day, certainly in this country where we remember fathers, and for many that is a joyous time, and we want to sensitively rejoice with those who rejoice, but we also acknowledge that for many that even the word father is a painful word. So Lord, might it be that you might redeem that word in the hearts of many people, even now as we pray, that you might lift our eyes to the hills, to see where our help comes from, to the one who truly loves. We just really pray for those who are hurting, for those who just really want this day to be over through so much pain of past. May we mourn with those who mourn. So we thank you so much that this is a time of reflection. We want to match the mood of Nehemiah 9. The people are here. And so we pray that as we reflect that Holy Spirit in only the way you can, we thank you. That when you do a deep work, it's permanent. I pray that we would cooperate, keep in step with you, Holy Spirit. And leave here changed. Leave here with a passion and desire to be the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So you've probably gathered during a series on DMI. And uh, please look back over the videos and the messages uh, for the previous chapters, for the background and how we've got this far. Welcome, by the way, if you're a visitor. I know there's a couple of visitors today. It's brilliant to see you. And if you're the first time watching online as well, uh, it's lovely to have you with us. I think there's two important things for us to understand. And I know that, Jim, I watched back, even though I was away last week, I watched back the message. And uh, the important things for us to understand, because we love knowledge, is that information Alone does not lead to transformation. I think you heard that last week. Information alone, because it is important information. It's important that we get God's word, and it was great last week, and we heard that actually the word of God has got to impact our mind and our heart, and then ultimately our will. And, but information alone does not lead to transformation. And, and how do I know that? Is simply because I'm not fully transformed, and I've been to hundreds of Bible studies. And I don't know about you, but you know we can attend Bible studies and you know, information alone does not lead to transformation. And the second thing is agreement is not the same as obedient following. We're really brilliant at agreeing with information. Yeah, I should do that. That's really amazing. Of course, amen to that. I love that Bible study. I heard Francis Chan, he he gave a a great kind of picture, really. He's got a daughter like us called Rachel. And he said, imagine asking Rachel. He says to her, tidy your room. And then within a few days, it's a mess still. And then Rachel uh, sees him at breakfast and says, Dad, I've really been thinking about what you said about tidying my room. I'm really thinking a lot about it. It's, It's a great idea. In fact, tonight, I've got some friends coming round and we're going to discuss what it would look like if I tidied my room. In fact, I've even looked up the Greek word for room. I can be that way. I can know all sorts of stuff. But it's actually comes a point when actually, just like the parable that we heard last week, Jim said, the rock is obedience. Because Jesus said, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on a rock, puts it into obedient practice. And then when all the storms came... And this is really important as we arrive at chapter 9 in Nehemiah, because even though we've had a lot of external stuff going on up to now, so there's been a lot of practical stuff, there's been a return into Jerusalem, there's been the building project, and that's all good with the wall. We like that sort of thing. It gives us sometimes a false sense of progress when we do those things. But it was important in itself... And then there's the kind of reorganizing the services and building the the pulpit and Ezra comes along and they have the sermon and they distribute the Levites and the singers and the gatekeepers and all those people. So there's a practical side of doing what we do. And I really understand that. But we're coming to the point now where there has to be, and what I've called today is inside out. There has to be an inside out thing about what it looks like to be God's gathered people again. And that's why we're shadowing Nehemiah because we're becoming God's gathered people again. as we emerge eventually out of what's going on at the moment. And it's so important. It's so important. It's easy to think about the things when we think about, well, what's it going to look like when we gather fully again? Is anyone else really looking forward to it? Anyone else looking forward to worshipping the king? I mean, really worshipping. I mean, and just, gosh, I can't wait. I don't know what I'm going to do. But, you know, it'd be easy to say, well, what we're we going to do, and these are practical questions, and don't mishear this or get cross. But, you know, yeah, will we have two services? Will we do this? What will be the band like? How long will it be? You know, what will happen to the youth work and the children? And those are really, really important things we would love you to pray into. But there comes a point, actually, when actually the the change and what happens has got to be from inside. Because I don't know about you, but I really get that sense. And Jim mentioned this last week, that this has been such a tough season. It's been an intense season Of constant pressure, constant letdowns, constant yes we can, no we can't. And I would liken it to similar to when people are in some kind of intense combat situation, seriously. Where actually you're under so much pressure for so long. And people emerge out of this, and my dear brother here knows about this, and they get PTSD. And I'm not trying to over exaggerate this, but actually there will be a form of fallout from all of this. That we'll need to be pastorally sensitive about when we emerge. Seriously, you know, we're not going to flick a switch and say we've got the service. It's going to be exactly the same because we're going to be mentally, all of us are going to be in in a certain place where we'll need the Spirit of God to say, "Come, you know, sort me out." But there are important internal questions we must ask ourselves. Because this is in chapter 9, I really sense today in chapter 9, we're starting to, we had the, the, the service last week with Ezra and the Levites going and explaining, it was great, but there seems to be a really sense of deep reflection in this chapter. That's why I asked Harry to read all of it. The last verse actually is the start of the next chapter, so we'll do that next week, but it's... It's a sense of deep reflection. I love the first songs because they were about reflecting. And what we're going to do after this message is we're going to have a time of reflection to allow the Spirit of God, ask Him to come. Because in our chapter, what we do is as we gather together, what's going to happen inside of me, not externally here? What's going to happen? What's going to be my posture before God? That's what I want to look at today. Because what we see in Nehemiah chapter 9 is we see the people posturing themselves to hear from God again. And to be his people again. And so the first thing we see here is that it's important in the first four verses of Nehemiah 9 to have an honest view of ourselves. Did you catch that? On the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together and wearing sackcloth, putting dust on their heads, uh, they, they separated themselves from all foreigners, etc., etc., and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. And they spent the quarter of the day reading God's Word and a quarter of a day in confession and worshipping the Lord God. They were putting themselves, verse 1, in a reflective position to hear from God. They put sackcloth on, which was this position of mourning. They took a good look at themselves. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from all foreigners. Remember, this group of people had been hanging around in 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 the Persian rule for 90 years or so, and they were culturally, some of them half Babylonian, half Persian, so there was a kind of a mix going on, and they'd intermarried against all of the law of God's word. And so this was a time of real deep reflection. And the first thing we need to do, now whether you're a believer today or whether you're not yet a believer, unless we have a realistic view of ourselves and our own rebelliousness or sinfulness, whatever modern word you want to use, we can never get to the point where we really need God to change us. We have to have a realistic view of ourselves. I spoke to a couple of people at the funeral, and talking about things afterwards this week. And people often, when they realise that you really love God and you love Jesus, they might say something like, "You know, well, I, I, I'm good. I, I like to help people. Have you had that? You know, I, I, I'm, I'm starting to volunteer down at the local place because it's this thing that we are somehow okay. Now, if you've got already low self-esteem, I'm not talking about jumping on your shoulders to make you feel worse. But it's about having, that's why I use the word, realistic view of ourselves. Because I am a legend in my own eyes. Genuinely, I'm fab. (laughs) And so often if I hear a really great sermon, what's my initial response is, I wish they'd have been here to hear that. Gosh, you should have been there or you need to watch it. It was perfect for you. You, them, not I, us. And here in Nehemiah 9, it's about I, we, us, we have, we're confessing, Lord. It's about having a realistic view of yourself. I've said this a few times now. You'll probably get bored of me saying this. But you know, when we start picking out the problems of others, it's like a frog calling a slug slimy. They're both really slimy. We have to have a realistic view of ourselves. And that's why I've entitled it Inside Out. And what they did is they took a good look at themselves. And in verse 3, they allowed the word of God, as we heard last week, to come. You know, one of the first things when we rebel against God, when we go from God, when we're far away is we close off his word. Verse 3 said, They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God. The first thing they did in that great posture is to hear, let the God's word come and challenge them. And that's got to be a starting place. I need a realistic view of myself. And notice it was the Lord they appealed to in verse 4. Standing on the stairs of the Levites, all the people, they cried out with loud, loud voices to the Lord their God. You know, we spend a lot of time asking other people opinions. I used to get loads of people come to me in pastoral situations. And if I didn't give them the right answer, they would go and find someone else. And they'd speak to ten friends until someone said whatever they wanted to hear. That's fine, doing that. But the people here have an honest view, a realistic approach. They want to know. They they have a view of themselves. It's important to do this. And they sit under God's word. And they appeal to him, Lord, I need you. Remember the psalmist, search me, O God, and see if there's any wicked way within me. This is a starting stance for you and I, for me. It really is. And this challenges me to the core. Because so often I can just look at the opinion of other people. Well, if they think it's fine, it's fine. And they cried out with loud voices to the Lord. But we need the Lord's Spirit to strive with us. Yet you see... Coupled with this, it's not just important as we come before God, as we regather as a church of God's people, or as we come back as individuals and as we really start to shape up. It's important also to have a clear understanding of just who the Lord is as well. There's a balance between these two things. I need a good reality check on who I am and my failings, all of those things. And I also need a clear view of the character of God. And this is why the word of God comes. Because what the word of God does, it's beautiful. It gives us both. The word of God acts like a mirror so we can see ourselves in it when we read it. But also gives us a beautiful insight into the very character, the holiness of God. And those two in balance will really help me. Notice that in 5 and 6. The people have this realistic view as well. They really understand. Stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name. May it be exalted above all. Blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord, verse six. Even the highest heavens and all their starry hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all in them, you give life to everything. Can you see who they know God is? You see, otherwise, God can be whoever I want him to be. If I'm not being informed by the word of God, who's informing me? He might be some miserable guy in the sky who basically just is there to trip me up every time I fail if I don't know God's word on the character of God. Or maybe he's some Father Christmas figure that quite simply says, don't worry, just play nice. You'll get there in the end. Neither of those caricatures are right. God's word come and they sit and they know who God is. It's beautiful. It says in five, primarily, he is one worthy to be praised. Did you see that in five? Right there. And they came together and stand up and praise the Lord your God. Primarily, God is one who is worthy to be praised. He deserves our worship. We know that word. He is from eternal everlasting to everlasting. Verse 6, the only true God. Not many ways, but the Lord has revealed himself in Scripture as the only way. You know, I, I, I listen to some dangerous things because I want to know what people are thinking. And I listen to some dangerous podcasts where people kind of say, well, maybe it's right that all these other faiths kind of are just disillusioned or they're misled. And because they're sincere, then they'll be there in the end. That's not true. Because if that's true, Jesus didn't know that was true when he said to the Father in the garden, if there's any other possible way, is it possible? Then take this cup from me. And we should have shouted out, Jesus, don't bother about the cross because you know as long as you're sincere with your faith and religion, you'll be fine in the end. That didn't happen. Yet there are people saying that today. And they're in churches and saying, maybe it's just a bit more inclusive. And so we see a real picture of just who the Lord is, the creator God, all the starry hosts he yours. He's all powerful. He's absolutely omnipotent. You made the heavens. He's the giver of life. You give life. And if he's the creator, as creatures, we're accountable to him. Can you see why this is important that we have an accurate view of who I am, that I'm a creature created, accountable to the creator, who's from everlasting to everlasting, who gives life, who's awesome, who's worthy of praise. That changes my vista. And it concludes in verse 6 with this praise sandwich, if you want. So it says, blessed be your glory. So in verse 6, you alone are the Lord, you made all the heavens, the highest heavens. You give life to everything, and the multitudes, the multitudes of heaven worship you. Isn't that beautiful? See, it's only as we reflect on we who we are, as we come together, individually and corporately, our character that I'm unfinished. And if you work with me long enough, you'll know I'm unfinished. And when our unfinished sides meet, that's when we get problems, isn't it? And that's when we need grace and Christ-tinted spectacles to see each other. Then we need grace. And then did I say we need grace? Do you know when we get this balance between who I am really before a holy God, because God's standards is perfection and not just... Goodness. And when I understand how amazing and beautiful and awesome he is and compassionate and gracious and all of those things, then that sits me in a posture of receiving. Do you know I, I heard the story of Sir Alexander Fleming, who was um, he was quite instrumental in the discovery of penicillin, some of you will know that, and um, he was also a really godly man. You might not know that. A Christ follower. Beautiful. And when he was near in retirement, there was a, a conference, press conference. And the journalists that gathered wanted to know what his greatest discovery had been. And he was sat there, this guy who had this balance between who he was and who God was. And he said, well, in my life, I made two great discoveries. Well, they knew what one of them was, been sinners, pretty good. So they were intrigued to know what the other would be. And do you know what that guy said? My first great discovery was that I was a great sinner. And my second great discovery was that Jesus is a great savior. <laughs> I'd, I'd say three. Well, of course, penicillin. Don't forget that, guys, right? Right? And then, don't forget that Jesus is a... I discovered I was a great sinner, but I discovered that Jesus is a great saviour. That's this balance in Nehemiah, the first six verses, where they say, Lord, this is who we are, sackcloth. I've discovered this. It's not a downer on myself. It's a reality check that I'm unfinished, and I need you, holy God. And the second part is, Lord, you are worthy. You are awesome. You're from everlasting. And that balance, can you see how it postures my heart then to receive It postures our hearts to receive and to expect. And keeping these two things in balance stops me getting ahead of myself and being a legend in my own eyes. It keeps my dependency on him. And what they then do, they're in that posture. So then what they can do, they can start to look back and reflect on the journey up to now. So 7 through 31, we see that it's important to reflect on our journey so far. And that's what they do. See, it's easy to localize our story and just talk about what we're going to do when we come back as Waypoint Church. Now, we have a journey. If you're in Jesus today, that's beautiful. And if you're not, maybe you're on that journey to discovering who he really is. But you see, through 7 through 31, the people reflect the story that they are part of. You are the Lord God who chose Abram and brought him out of air, the Chaldeans. And they go through this. You saw the suffering of our ancestors in Egypt. They rehearse the story. They reflect on the work of God in the lives of God's people in the past. And this is so important, especially if we're low, if we're down, if we're anxious and depressed. Because God is still God today. Okay, he's not surprised by any of the stuff we've faced over the last eighteen months. He's still in charge, and he's still—he's not surprised at all. And so it's important that I have a view of myself. I have a wonderful view of who God is that gives me that beautiful Alexander Fleming balance. I hope, and then say, Lord, you know, when I sit in that posture, I can just reflect back on the story. Can you remember better days? I've got a question for you. Was it your baptism? Was there a time when a thousand horses couldn't have stopped you from picking up God's Word? Or from telling your friends that, yes, I love Jesus? Remember that time you led that group in your home? Remember the laughter? Was there a time when you could walk and you just felt that the Lord was with you? Those times happened. And what the people of God here in Nehemiah 9 do is they reflect back, Lord, we have seen. And this is how we were. And this is how our ancestors were. And they stumbled and fell. But you are compassionate. You're amazing. You're gracious. I just wonder. We will have a time of reflection very shortly. Just about, Lord, maybe you're in a dark place. A dark hole. Just reflecting, Lord, Lord, I just long to be in that place again where I hear you every day, where I knew I was loved by you. Lord, I just want to be in that place. And they go through, and we see here, as they continue to reflect, our ancestors became arrogant and stiff-necked. They didn't obey your commands. They refused to listen. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. Therefore, you did not abandon them. The reflection song very soon is that beautiful song called, You are sovereign over us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. It's a beautiful song. But how many times have we said, Lord, get me out of this and I'll never let you down again. Anybody? Anybody? It's so important to rehearse and to look back, to reflect on how God has brought us this far. Maybe as we bring this down, we just got tired or lazy, even maybe. Or maybe people said something to us, even in church. That happens, doesn't it? Unfinished slides. You know, when Paul, I, I mentioned this a lot when he writes to the Corinthians in his second letter, he can say, we despaired of life itself. They had to talk me off the ledge. Then he goes on to say, but we are confident of this, that the God who delivered us in the past will continue to do so. <laughs> Does that, as, we, as, as we're in a posture now, the God who delivered you and I in the past will continue to do so. The God who delivered you in the past will continue to do so, yeah? Thank you. Lastly, what that means is, I've got a view of myself. Awesome view of God, say. Lord. (laughs) Reflecting back on the story, and then I can appeal to him now, lastly, to lead us into the future. Verses 32 through 37, we see this, the last point. We can appeal to God to lead us into the future. And it says in verse 32, it's there just in your Bible too. Now, after reflecting on the past, therefore our God, the great, mighty, and awesome who keeps his covenant of love, do not let this hardship we are going through, remember they're under Persian rule still paying taxes, it's terrible in Jerusalem, it's awful. Do not let our hardship seem trivial in your eyes, the hardship that has come on us and our kings and leaders. And so they gather before God and they're saying, Lord, we need you. We need you to see the stresses of this lockdown. We need you to see the stresses of of all that's been going on. We need to see the stresses of everything that we are currently facing. They can appeal to an all-powerful, all-knowing God. So in spite of their current chapter being challenging, their 32 mentions hardship, their 36, lack of freedoms, we are slaves, their 37, mentally weary, we are in great distress. Hardship, lack of freedom, mentally in distress, familiar. They say, Lord, see this situation. Lord, I give this to you because I make a mess of everything. I pick the loser in a two-horse race. I need you, Lord. But as verse 32 says, we serve a great, mighty, awesome, covenant-keeping God who will achieve his redemptive purposes in spite of us, not because of us. So, here we go. As we regather... There'll be many practical questions to ask, cost of will services and all sorts of things. But each of us, everyone and collectively, are called to come and search ourselves and turn up with a right posture, expecting the Lord to speak, to gather with an honest view of ourselves, with a clear understanding of the character of God that allows us then to reflect on our journey so far and to appeal to the Lord, to lead and guide us into the future. The group are going to come now, and I want to call us to a time of reflection. So what does that look like? Well, just close our eyes. I suggest you stay seated if you prefer to stand, fine. But think about, Lord. Just let the words of this beautiful song as they come. That's great, brilliant. Just let the words of this beautiful song. You are sovereign over us, and we want to give you opportunities to respond. If you need prayer, whatever that looks like, the, the group will lead us, the team, the worship team. into that as well. Don't need to rush this. If you're at home, that's fine. Whatever suits you. But we're going to just listen to these words. You are with us in the fire and the flood. You are sovereign over us. You know what the enemy meant for evil? You've turned it for our good. Lord, might it be that you could redeem this awful situation, all the restrictions we've had. And I think if we approach regathering again over the next few weeks like this, view of ourselves, view of God, what He's done in the past, appealing to Him now, we'll be in great shape to move forward individually as families and as a church together. So let's just, let me pray just for a minute and then we'll go Lord come on Lord we need you we need you now Lord please Holy Spirit come Lord I'm not the person I think I am but you're the God your word says you are And I thank you that I'm your child, that I don't need to remain down on the floor, but you lift me because of your great, awesome covenant, love and promise. That's why I still stand because of you and not because of me. And I thank you that I can point to chapters in my life, some amazing, some when I felt you tangibly, maybe that's even now, but for others it will be coldness distance. Lord we appeal to you to enter and see our hardship, our lack of freedom our anxiety our mental health of so many we appeal to you to walk forward with us in that as the omnipotent omniscient, all knowing amazing, powerful God who is worthy to be praised come Holy Spirit you're sovereign over us we love you Lord, do your work amongst us now in Jesus name Amen